Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. As Christians, we certainly have the eternal hope of Jesus Christ and his glory. Um, I will acknowledge that we can all use a little more hope and encouragement in these days. So this evening at 7 p.m., so 12 hours from right now, uh, at 7 p.m. tonight, March the 26th, I am going to be hosting an Evening of Hope live. Uh, it's a It's a video stream event. You can find out more information at MyFaithRadio.com. You click on the little more info uh, when you see the banner, which is giant and is on the website right now. You just click on a little more info and that takes you to a page that has more info. Um, It'll tell you everything that you need to know. Basically, what you need to know is that at 7 p.m. or maybe just before 7 p.m. tonight, you go to MyFaithRadio.com and there's going to be a click here to join button. And so that's what you're going to do at 7 p.m. tonight. We're going to be on from 7 to 8. Some of our regular guests are going to pop on and join us. Uh, So in the first hour this morning, um, Ben Johnson was on, and he promises that he's going to figure out how to use the technology so that he can can be on the the event. You can put a a face with a name. I'm sure that uh, Peter Kapsner, I'm sure I can compel him to join us for a few minutes this evening. Um, So some of your favorite guests will be joining me during the hour, but mostly what we're going to spend our time doing is praying for one another. And so you're going to be able to text in um, your prayer concerns, and you're going to be able to use the same number that we use uh, here during the show, 877-933-2484. So join me tonight for an evening of hope. It's a special live stream event here on My Faith Radio. And so you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and get all of the info. Um, some prayer requests that have come in today for people who, like, literally are about, their wives are about to give birth. So I have heard from Chris. I have heard from a friend of Lauren. And I have heard from um, uh, the Brocks just outside of Atlanta. Um, all of them have babies due like imminently, like within the next week. They have all been told that in all likelihood, um, the men will not be allowed to be with the women during that experience. Um, let's be praying. Let's be praying not only for these three, but for others like them who are in this experience because of what is happening um, across the country and around the world related to the coronavirus, many things related to healthcare practices, um, even dental practices, have changed dramatically. This would be one of them. And so um, this is this coronavirus is having impacts and effects in areas and ways that you may not have thought of yet. Um, but let's be praying for these new mommies. Let's be praying for these new daddies. Um, and let's be praying that God would uh, pour out grace upon them. Maybe you are, um, maybe you're older, and you know you you your babies were born in the day when men didn't go into the delivery room anyway. You probably have a ministry now. Um, you probably have a ministry to these young men uh, whose wives are going to go in and deliver these babies without them. 
Um, that is something that prior generations would have lots of experience with. But the current generation, you know, has expectations related to being present during childbirth. And so let's just be not only praying for them, but maybe that's a ministry for you if you are um, in that circumstance. My guess is um, you can you can find a person who could really use your wisdom and counsel um, right now. All right, next up, I'm going to be talking with Peter Kapsner. He and I are going to be talking about Tom Brady. Yeah, this is like the sports segment, <clears throat> sort of. Um, Tom Brady actually um, thinks football is a religion. No, really? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about uh, the the whole issue of sacrifice, what it means not only in the Christian life, but the question of whether or not Americans are really ready to sacrifice in ways necessary um, to this current challenge. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Peter Kapsner. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks, Carmen. Hey, and I, I really appreciate you talking about uh, the impact that this virus is having on families that are having children right now. I, I saw some articles on that just the other day, too, and I can't imagine. I mean, we've had the the five kids that I've referenced before, and, and I can't imagine not being present. Uh, I do get it. We're in different times where fathers are present, or maybe they weren't in the past, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it has made an impact, as you said, on, on so many different levels that maybe I didn't even anticipate either. Yeah, we've um, one of my friends in my community group. I mean, he's just he's just grieving. His dad yeah. cannot visit his mom, who is in a memory care center, and like literally, the dad's the only person that she recognizes. And so now she, right? I mean, she's afraid, and he's yep. so sad, and he feels guilt. Like, right? There's the layers and layers and layers uh. and the stress. And yeah, we just need to be praying for folks and coming alongside them. Um, you know, as as real friends during this time. All right, I want to sure. talk about um, Tom Brady. So Tom Brady um, has been referred to as the GOAT, which <laughs> in sports lingo is the greatest of all time, but in biblical lingo is not something you want to be. You want to be a right. sheep, not a goat. <laughs> right. And yet um, I'm reading I'm reading that maybe he is a goat. Well, he's an interesting character. There's no question. I don't think that uh, sports world, uh, for sure not football, and outside of maybe Michael Jordan, but I don't even think that he compares. Certainly, from an accomplishment standpoint, in the NBA, Michael Jordan compares. They both have six championship titles. But Brady has this really unusual charisma about him that uh, some of the greatest leaders of all time tend to have. It's, it, there's sort of this it factor in his leadership. And, and with that, he really has broken the mold in terms of um, what is to be expected in how you prepare yourself, how long you can play football, how old you can be as you play football. I mean, he's made it no secret that he's going to play until he's at least 45, if not even the age of 50. And when, when you reference the idea that he's a goat to greatest of all time, I, I think that's a pretty um, open and closed debate on a number of levels in football. But a goat in terms of sort of the spiritual faith of it is that he really has made his devotion to football his religion. And he, he talks openly about that and and to the idea that he's finding his life and his meaning and his purpose in football. And boy, Carmen, if you just think what you could end that statement with. I find my life and my meaning and my purpose in X. I mean, just finish it with whatever you want to finish it with. And if you finish it with anything other than the Christian faith, you're going to be ending up in a situation where... Um, it's a temporary thing, regardless of how much devotion, energy, and effort you put into it, it's going to end. At least the things of this world are going to end. And so 
there's there's probably even this idea of I've got to keep playing. I've got to beat uh, time on this because where would I find my purpose otherwise? It's it's pretty common, unfortunately. Right. I mean, so many of us, at least put to some degree, our meaning and, and purpose and different things in life. And then when they fail or we they, they don't work out like we think, it gets really confusing really fast. So it, he's an interesting person because a lot of people follow him on these kinds of pursuits because he is so charismatic and he really does draw you in. He has a sort of affable quality about him. Okay, so um, the Washington Post has featured an article about this, that football is his religion. The New York Times um, has written a piece as well. I want to read you um, a very brief paragraph from that um, um, from that conversation. So this is this is from the New York Times. Um, I do want to know the whys in life, Brady said in a version of the spiritual episode. Um, I do want to know why we're here, where we're going, trying to find that deeper purpose. To live it through sports in a very authentic way makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay, so it's not that he's not asking the big questions. Like everybody else, he's asking the big questions. He just actually thinks and believes that the answers can be found in football. Okay, I, I know that I sound dismayed, and it's because I am. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when you see somebody at the pinnacle of their career that has the kind of platform that he has, promoting the kind of message that he promotes— uh, and again, I actually enjoy his press conferences. I enjoy watching him play football, you know, all of those things. It, it, but but it is a little disturbing. And and you used the word dismayed a second ago that with that kind of platform promoting finding his big answers to life, which I think we all have, to find them again in anything in this world, it really can draw us to then follow him. I mean, right? And And to be a disciple of somebody is simply to be a follower of what they say, what they teach, how they live, what their character is, all of those kinds of ideas that were called to be disciples of Jesus and, and what he taught and lived and, and how he answered those same very big questions just in the very way he lived his life and, and, and sacrificed his life. And so Brady has a lot of followers. I haven't seen his Twitter feed lately, but I've got to believe it's a few more than mine. And um, <laughs> with with people following him on that they're going to listen to what he has to say. And I think that's what's dismaying. If somebody is going to choose to give up their life for something like this, uh, it's understandable because success and money and fame can be, um, it can be pretty compelling and, and it can really drive a lot of life, but eventually it's going to end. And you're probably going to drag a lot of people with you who have been following the same kinds of things that you've been up to and, and watching your life and deciding, I want to live my life that way as well. That's the burden of being a public figure. And boy, I don't know of another more public figure than Brady in the sporting world. And there's a, probably a lot of people that have bit into how he wants to live his life. Okay. Um, I looked that up. Tom Brady has exactly <laughs> 999,991 more followers than you. He does. I'm a little surprised by that, Carmen. I thought I was doing a little bit better in the metrics, but, you know, I can yeah. accept that. Okay. You could follow Dr. Peter Kapsner on Twitter at Dr. Yep. Kapsner, and you could improve his standing against Tom Brady. Okay. Um, <laughs> Peter, when we come back, I want to switch gears. I want to talk with you about sacrifice. Um, it, it has been, the question has been publicly posed that this is our nation's season of sacrifice. Um, I want to talk about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to talk about um, what we what we know from Scripture about laying down our lives for for others or for the other. And then I want to talk about this season in the United States of America. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. 
So uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner has just entered into double digits in, t- in terms of Twitter <laughs> followers. Uh, so he now has 10. So, um, you know, if you're on Twitter and you could go follow Dr. Kapsner, um, just D-R and then Kapsner, K-A-P-S-N-E-R, that would be awesome because then he would feel oh. encouraged and feelings is Peter's love language. I'm pretty sure. It, it really it really is. It, <laughs> when, when Ted Rossi, producer of your show this morning, uh, put me over the top in double digits, uh, I, I mean, I feel terribly ecstasy, hopeful right don't now you? this whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. We yeah. got to support don't each really other. Do. We're supporting each other in this time, yes. Yeah, hey, I appreciate this is, <laughs> this is when I am supposed to very obediently say, hey, it's all about following Jesus. It is not about yes. following anyone else. Amen. And we're not obsessing about our followers on Twitter. We're just having a good time this morning. Okay, so indeed, don't indeed. don't at me. Don't at me. All of those <laughs> who are on Twitter who are now thinking ah, she's not supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. There you go, uh, Peter. Let's talk about sacrifice. Yeah. So John Meacham is um a really he's just so well thought, right? He is he's a good thinker. He's an excellent writer. He has this piece that's out there right now um, on the topic of sort of this American moment and this American moment related to the, the, the subject matter of sacrifice. Um, I just wanted to, to till the soil of this conversation a little bit. Like, you know, how do, how do you know, how do you know if you're ready to make the kind of personal sacrifice that might be required of you in a particular moment in time? How do you know? Yeah, gosh, you know, I think on one level, Carmen, I haven't thought about that question before, but what first comes into my mind is that on one level, you you don't know, right, until the situation presents itself. And, and your reaction and your response in those moments probably measure a lot. And and by measuring a lot, I would say the second thing then about it is uh, I think a lot of it depends on what your basic orientation is to what meaning, purpose, and, and um, hope is in this life, as we talked about in the previous conversation, which when when that be, when the idea of acting and being in certain ways that you're more concerned for the shalom or the wholeness or the completeness or the encouragement or whatever word you want to use uh, of another person when that is your basic view and orientation towards life and you live that way for a lifetime that when a moment comes to make a sacrifice it's sort of already within the stream of how you've been swimming in your life anyway it, it's not this big divergent sort of thing But when you have been living a life which is mostly about I've got to somehow get mine or I've been building my resume or it it's oriented around even some of the things we talked about with Tom Brady, where I'm going to use some sort of vehicle like football or a job or a relationship to define personal fulfillment on some level. You may not be quite as ready to sacrifice. Um, But boy, when things either get stripped away which we've experienced a lot of stripping away. And if you've been living sort of a general life of, uh, of love, that is what God's kingdom pulsates with, which is about the care for other people, I, I think you might find yourself more ready then than you might realize when a moment comes when it's time to sacrifice. But boy, even that word's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because sacrifice is relative to what your expectations are about what you should get in life. And so what might feel like a sacrifice to one person would feel like just a normal flow of life to another. And, uh, and so th- there's a lot here to till for sure, as you said. Okay. So when I, um, when I think of, let's say John chapter 12 and Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, um, he's ready. Well, this isn't in the garden of Gethsemane. When I think of the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is sort of like actually praying and asking the question, John John presents that differently. In in John yeah. chapter 12, he presents it differently. Like Jesus is like, you know, 
Am I going to am I going to say take this from me? I mean, no, this is the hour for which I have come. So there there seems to be a resolve, um, a knowledge of self, a knowledge of purpose in Jesus um, in preparation for sacrifice in, in an awareness that sacrifice is coming. He then later, I mean, you know, he tells like Peter specifically, he tells Peter, look, you're you, a, a sacrifice is going to be required of you. You're going to be led to places you don't want to go. Um, yep. Let's talk about, let's talk about Christ and the Christian life in relationship to sacrifice. Well, I think you just, you hit on it. And the fact that he knew that that was why he had come, that gets right into what we were just talking about, right? Where, what are your expectations about why you're here and, and what kind of life are you doing? And if, if you're swimming in that river of God's kingdom, where you, you're asking God regularly to fill your heart with his kind of love, where you, you desire the care and well-being of another person ahead of your own, when those moments come, and when maybe a big moment comes, like it obviously did, uh, the, it, it encapsulized all of Jesus's life when he walked into that Garden of Gethsemane and when he was ready to to take up that cross. But, you know, Carmen, to be a redemptive person, right, if we take some of this theological language that we like to use, to be a reconciling person, to be a redemptive person, is somebody who's willing to wear uh, to sort of bear the sin and the travail and the burdens of the present on behalf of another person's future. And so you're willing to sort of take the hit so somebody else can maybe be made whole. And it's manifested. You sent me another article uh, about an Italian priest who did just that, a 72-year-old priest who his parish and community had bought him a ventilator uh, in one of the Italian towns that was so ravaged by the coronavirus. And he, for all intents and purposes, was uh, maybe going to recover as a result of this ventilator. But when somebody younger who had need of a ventilator as well, but didn't have access to one, the priest went ahead and turned and gave the ventilator to this other person. And the priest then subsequently died. And that that is bearing the burden of the present on behalf of somebody else's future. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, it says in Hebrews, for the hope set before him, he endured the cross. And he had this resolve. He had this way of love or care for other people's well-being. And in those places, when the moment hits, he, you're willing to bear the burden, even though it might cost you absolutely everything, if it means that somebody else, even just one other person, can be made whole. That is so counterintuitive that anything that we talk about in our culture, typically, it, it it's counterintuitive sometimes to the way we do our faith, where our faith can be sometimes more about our own personal fulfillment than it is maybe about anything else, as opposed to the idea, am I willing to bear something now uh, for somebody else's sake uh, so that their their future can be free, their their future can be hopeful, they could have a future in and of itself. That's the kind of hope that I think Jesus understood that was set before him when he endured that cross. He knew he was going to be busting open an eternal future for everybody. And he was willing to bear all of that in the present for the sake of everybody else. And he did it because of love. It's all that these words we've been talking about this morning. Okay, I love the way that you you phrased that about um, something present for someone else's future. Could you say that one more time? Yeah, to be a redemptive or reconciling person, insofar as I understand it, is to bear something in the present on behalf of somebody else's future. Some, it can even be, you know, bearing some sin that is that is difficult. It doesn't mean you take on their sin or can forgive their sin. It just means you're willing to bear the difficulty of the present if somebody else can be made whole, and that can manifest itself in a lot of other ways. Peter Kapsner, thank you as always. Um, what what a delight. What a delight. Oh, it's, just really it, it really it, is encouraging to be with you. Yeah, you know, and I heard you earlier say, Carmen, that you're doing the—obviously, I know you're doing the live <gasps> event. Tonight, yes, are you going to join us? And you're going to somehow compel me to, to be part of this, you know. <laughs> okay, I, well, I've a, sent you two emails to which you have not responded. 
Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for my bag of chocolate chip cookies in the mail. I, I can, I will do almost anything for a dozen chocolate chip cookies. I just need to tell you. Okay, that's a shout out to listeners. Um, we're going to expect to see Peter Kapsner's face on today's uh, today's tonight's live event. All you do is you go to myfaithradio.com. You get all the information about how to participate. It's at 7 p.m. tonight. It's from 7 to 8 tonight. It's a live event. I'm hosting it. And Peter Kapsner at some point will appear, if simply for the promise of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Absolutely. And if I you could, can hey, you know what? Twitter. Hey, I yeah. could make good on the chocolate chip cookie um, promise the next time we're allowed to physically be in the same space. Yeah, that might be 12 months from now, but, but I, I'm game for that. And, and if I can get to a dozen Twitter, Twitter followers by then, I will be greatly uh, encouraged. Uh, we're going to get you there, man. He's at Dr. Kapsner. We'll be right back. So whatever you have had to accomplish already today, um, if you are a parent of a special needs child, the things that you have been required to accomplish today already border on the heroic. Um, You have had to possibly physically help another person with their primary physical needs. You have had to help a person... um, in ways that most of us take for granted being able to do for ourselves. And as a special needs parent, you will also be required to act in heroic ways moment by moment the rest of the day and tonight and tomorrow. And because you are the parent and they are the child for the rest of your life. Um, And in the midst of all of that, you will worry about who will care for their needs when you are gone. This is the special calling of special needs parents. Next up, I'm going to talk with Jamie Sumner. She is uh, a special needs parent. She's also a writer. And today she's going to join us for a conversation about eat, sleep, save the world. Words of encouragement for the special needs parent. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Jamie Sumner. Among other things, the author of Eat, Sleep, Save the World, Words of Encouragement for the Special Needs Parent. You can follow her on Twitter at Jamie underscore Sumner. Jamie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I think we should just start with um, what have you already done today? (laughs) Carmen's asking me this because we were already tweeting this morning early. (laughs) (laughs) I let's see. I have gone for a run. I have fished a pair of shorts out of the dirty clothes for my son because he decided he cannot possibly wear pants and none of his shorts are clean. And I have already gotten breakfast ready. <laughs> right. So um, so some of that sounds like self-care. Some of it sounds like the care of a child who cannot do everything for himself um, and some of it just sounds like being a mom. Talk about um, talk about your your son. Introduce us introduce us to him so that we can begin to get a window into um, into the life of a special needs parent. Sure. So Charlie is eight, um, and he has cerebral palsy, and he is in a wheelchair, and he also uses a speaking device to speak, which um, it looks a little bit like an iPad. And it has a touch screen, and that is mostly how he communicates since he 
he's not totally nonverbal, but he's limited in his verbal abilities. So a lot of um, my interactions with him are, you know, physical, very, you know, lifting him in and out of bed and, and in and out of his wheelchair and his stander. And, and, you know, with schools being out, there's, there's more of that because he still gets antsy like any kid and he still wants to move around. And that just means I'm moving around with him. So there are lots of uh, folks listening right now who, um, you know, like they're running through in their mind, um, a list of, uh, a list of words, and they're trying to find a picture of cerebral palsy. So yeah. t- talk with us about Charlie's um, challenges and then also his abilities, because I think that sometimes we only see what's wrong, and it's really important um, for people to be able to see children who have um, differing abilities to actually be able to see the things about them that are working and are right. Well, especially... Um for people like Charlie, where his disability is so visible, it's easy. You know, we, we learn about people first through what we see. And so, yeah, it is hard to, to get past that. But so cerebral palsy can take a lot of different forms, but it is essentially um, brain paralysis, cerebral palsy. Um, and so for Charlie, it was, we're not sure exactly when or how it happened, but but um, he had some issues when he was born that led us to predict or to guess as best we could that he would have cerebral palsy later. And he was diagnosed at age one. And it can look different in everyone. Another kid can have cerebral palsy and he just has a limp or he has trouble writing or doing certain levels of math. Um, so it, it looks very, very different Um for each individual, as do all disabilities uh, that differ in severity. Um, but that's that's what Charlie's is like. And um, what I would say to anyone listening is that even though Charlie cannot express himself like you or I can on the radio right now, um, what he understands is above and beyond his peers. I mean, he's been tested for that. And he knows so much that he wants to get out. And what he would want and what I would want as his mom is for people to be willing to step into his circle and learn how to read him and learn how to speak with him because he is he wants to tell anyone what he's thinking and what he's feeling. And it just takes a little more learning and a little more creativity to be able to have conversations, but that's what he wants. And he is the most cheerful kid you will ever meet. Like he will wave at you from a thousand feet away because he wants to get your attention and he wants to interact. And I think people often fear awkwardness. And so they don't want to interact. And as a mom and as a parent to, to a kid like Charlie, I would say, don't worry about being awkward. We like awkward. We would much rather be seen and, and then you to choose politeness over maybe an interaction that would change both our lives for that day, you know? Oh, I know. Um, so I am, I am with you and I am for you in this. I have a special needs um, stepson who lives with us full time. He's 14. And then I also uh, now have a special needs grandchild. And I, wow. I just acknowledge that, um, that exhaustion, um, feeling overwhelmed, often being discouraged, feeling like people don't see you, feeling like people see things that aren't true, 
Um, all of that is the reality that we live in as parents and grandparents of children who have special needs. And so one one of the things I really appreciate about um, Eat, Sleep, Save the World, that's the book we're discussing today. Jamie Sumner is the author. I gave you the inaccurate um, Twitter follow. It's Jamie Sumner underscore. The underscore goes at the end. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and And the book is on like super duper crazy sale today. Um, if yeah. you get it on Kindle, it's only four ninety nine. So just really, it's a great, great deal. Eat, sleep, save the world. Words of encouragement for the special needs parent. Jamie, I appreciate this is not a how to book like that. And I don't, I didn't mm-hmm. need another book telling me all the things I wasn't doing that I needed to be doing better. This is such a book of encouragement. Um, talk about particularly patience. Let's talk about patience. It is something God has already given. Um, talk, talk about the fact that special needs parents and grandparents already have the gifts needed um, for the challenge set before us? I think for, I, I love that you touched on the fact that this isn't a how-to book because I, we, we already know all the list of things that we are need to do or, or that we feel like we're not doing that, that guilt sets in of, oh, I should have done this better or, or the patience. I should have been more patient in this scenario. And when I talk about patience in the book, um, I talk about this idea that, you know, patience takes practice. And if there's one thing that we get as a parent to a child or a grandparent to a child with special needs is a lot of practice on all of these things that feel harder because we do a lot of them. You know, there are a lot of times in in the parenting day, just the day itself, where you feel like you have spun to the end of your rope and and um, you feel that patience at its end. And I would say for me, the thing that I always lean into is, but this moment that I'm feeling isn't forever. And that's the best thing that God teaches us with our kids is that the diagnosis isn't forever. This temper tantrum isn't forever. This, this moment of heart isn't forever. And if you can remember that, then all of a sudden you have endless amounts of rope left. You know, you have a longer bit of patience than you thought because you can lean into God to trust that this will pass. And, and because you know that, and you have evidence of that from your, your past, and you've gotten through so many hard things already, you can lean into that as well and, and really find more patience than you ever thought you had and celebrate how well you're doing instead of saying, Oh, I I was short then, or, or, or I yelled, or I had to walk out of the room or whatever it is celebrate how well you really are doing in light of the situation you're in, because I don't think we do that enough. We don't stop and celebrate how great we are at parenting our kid because we were uniquely created to parent our kid. Again, I'm talking with Jamie Sumner. She and I have to take a very brief break. We are talking about Eat, Sleep, Save the World, Words of Encouragement for the Special Needs Parent. Um, There's really not a book that I could more highly recommend if you are a special needs parent or if you have a family in your church that has a special needs child and you are wondering, what, what, are they, what are they dealing with? How are they coping? What do I need to know about that family to be a better brother or sister in Christ to them? Um, this book is for you. Again, Eat, Sleep, Save the World by Jamie Sumner. We'll be right back. In times like these, it is easy to let fear grip our hearts. 
fear of sickness, fear of lack, fear of the unknown. But when fear and anxiety try to plague our every thought, we can remember this one important truth, and that is God is with us. He is with us. He is for us. He loves us. And He invites us to enter into His rest. We're not alone. When the storm rages, He offers us peace and refuge in the midst of it. He promises hope and strength to those who turn to Him. What is God saying in this crisis? Among the answers must be this promise. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will surely help you. Turn to Him today. That's some fun intro music. Thank you, Ted. All right, I am talking with Jamie Sumner, author of Eat, Sleep, Save the World, Words of Encouragement for the Special Needs Parent. Um, Jamie, Charlie isn't your only child, um, and we are living in really uh, different times all of a sudden where, depending on where you live, I mean, our kids where I live are now officially out of school until the 24th of April. That may or may not be true where you are, depending on where you're listening from. Um, across the country or around the world, um, Jamie, tell us um, uh, tell us about life with lots of kids, one of whom has some some special needs. I don't know if you're like me. I think every kid is a special needs kid. Their just needs are different. Um, and then also talk about talk directly to parents who are dealing with you know the extra eight hours a day, um, which used to be some kind of um, you know reprieve maybe. And, and I don't think that it's wrong to think of it that, re- that way, and we shouldn't feel guilty about wanting some distance for some periods of time. So talk about those challenges or issues or blessings. First of all, I don't think it's wrong at all. I second that, that, that we all need to build in times for ourselves during these days that feel so long and so just unformed and unstructured. I think we, my kids have been out since March 5th and they will be out through the 24th as well. And I have, so Charlie's eight and I have five-year-old soon to be six-year-old twins that were in kindergarten this year. Um, so that's a lot of energy bouncing around a house. And for me, parenting a child who has a very physical disability and then having two very physically energetic other kids, it's hard to know how to parent each one well. And I like what you said about each child has their own unique needs that need to be met. And I, I, I know that the, most parents out there who have children with special needs also have other kids. And so they're juggling that. How do I meet everyone's needs now that everyone is at home? And how do I also meet my needs or the needs of my spouse? And I would just say, the thing that has made me a little better at this in this time is to focus on the moment at hand instead of the bigger picture of this is what our life is. And, and I feel like I can't even hold all this together. Um, 
because I like a structure and I like a plan and those, you're right. Those eight hours of day when they were at school, I felt good about what they were learning and what they were doing and then what I was accomplishing. And that's hard now that we're home. And so I think the best thing I have learned through all of this is that God is opening up new avenues for me to teach my kids in different ways and for me to take care of myself in different ways. If that means getting up and running before any of my kids are awake, then I'm going to do it because that's for me. Um, if it means learning a new way to teach Charlie math because he can't go and, and be in class and use his speaking device with his special ed teacher in the same way. Fine. I called my mother who used to be a first grade teacher and she like made these, she colored, she had these wooden colored blocks that she wrote numbers on. And we started doing math with that with chart for Charlie. Um, and so I would just say, open yourself up to the possibility of a different way of doing things because you have to anyway, but there's a difference between being forced to do something and then being curious about it and maybe inviting it in a little bit. It's it's an attitude shift and it doesn't always work, but it's just enough to make this feel a little bit more. I always tell my kids, we're going on an adventure. I don't know where we're going, but we're going on an adventure. So a little bit more of an adventure and a little bit less of kind of a, a sentence at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, absolutely. It it can be it can be an adventure and things that um, when we're looking for something in the house that appears to be lost, it can become a treasure hunt. Um, I mean, I just think that on and on there. But but that takes like a moment, not only of pause, but the energy yeah. to be creative in the moment and and the, and giving yourself the freedom and flexibility to do that. So I think that's a lot of what you're giving parents in this book. Um, it is a great encouragement. I want to thank you for it, and I want to commend it to our listeners. Eat, Sleep, Save the World by Jamie Sumner. Words of encouragement for the special needs parent. Um, Jamie, they can get it anywhere books are sold. Um, I'm wondering, are you doing anything online, maybe on Facebook? I mean, I, I don't, are you like doing stuff during this time that other people can connect with? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, Twitter and Facebook, they can find me on there. I'm going to do some giveaways. So I know Amazon has delayed book deliveries and everything else. So follow me on Twitter. I'm going to be doing a lot of giveaways um, for people who can't access the book. It's always fun to get mail when you're stuck at home so that it would be good. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, so there you go. Follow Jamie Sumner on Twitter. She's at Jamie Sumner underscore. You can also find her on Facebook and online. Jamie, thank you so much. What a delight. Thank you. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay, I do love it that we get to make friends here. And so I hope that um, I hope that you are encouraged today. I hope you hear the joy in my voice. I hope you hear my anticipation for all of the great and good things that God is going to do today that he has planned as like surprises for us. So I have no idea what it's going to be. But I'm anticipating that God is going to set before us joy. Why? Because that's what he's promised. And he is a great promise keeper. So here's the one thing I know you can trust today. You can trust God to be God. And God is great. And God is good. So we're going to thank him. We're going to be people filled with gratitude. We're going to be people who are anticipating miracles. And yes, we're going to be bold to be on our knees to ask for them. Have a great day. Join me at 7 tonight. 
on the live event, MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.